Grab your notes, grab your pens today. We're going to jump in. And before I dive into a very serious topic, I thought I'd start with a story. There's a story just to lighten the load before we jump into the heavy stuff, all right? So there's a guy, he, he goes to his friend's house on Christmas, and he gives his friend a gift. This gift is a 500-piece puzzle. It's amazing. It's a great picture. The guy receives it. Well, a year later, he comes. It's still not finished. And then two years later, he comes, and it's finally complete. And his friend says to the, his other friend, he says, man, I, I gave you that puzzle two years ago. I don't think it should have taken you that long. And the guy responded by saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm pretty proud of myself. Like on the box, it says 500 pieces, six to 12 years. So I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you say. How many know it? sometimes it takes us a little longer than expected to get certain stuff? What I'm getting ready to share with you today, for some of us, it's taken a little longer to get, but I want to let you know it's okay. God has got the instructions, and what we're going to do today is unpack this idea of overcoming rejection, overcoming rejection. I don't know who this is for, but I was on a plane a few weeks ago, and the Lord dropped this in my spirit And I'll tie it all together at the end with a bow so you feel good on the way out. But I felt like the Lord needed to deal with this so people can get past some stuff so they can go on to their destiny. Amen, everybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a great day. I'm so grateful for your love. So grateful for your kindness, your mercy. And Lord, I thank you for purpose, that you have called us on purpose for a purpose And Lord, I pray that every one of us would connect to that purpose, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey. I pray that you help us to take one step, one step closer to our destiny and to who you are as our Savior. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody say good amen. Well, here's the truth, everybody. The truth is that we all deal with rejection on some level or another. We all have dealt with a rejection. We all know what that feels like. We all know what that feels like in in high school, in elementary school, on a job, in a relationship. We all know what rejection feels like. Here's the scary part. What's worse is when you pick up a spirit of rejection because here's what happens when you pick up a spirit of rejection. It now defines your life. It's not that you've just been rejected. It now defines who you are and who you are not any longer, and it it begins to compromise your ability to function properly. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack this and talk about some unhealthy ways or unhealthy responses to rejection, and then we'll tie it around to how we ought to respond to rejection, all right? Number one, write this down. When we are rejected, we overcompensate. We overcompensate. It's like we, in fear of being rejected again, we overcompensate, and we become strivers. We become strivers, striving to be liked, striving to be accepted. We become chameleons, in essence, and we try to fit into every situation. We want to fit into every group, and we are willing to do anything and everything to fit into a group, even though we shouldn't. We're, we're, we're feeling the, the pressure, and what happens many times is that we compromise our values. We compromise our our, our system that of beliefs, we compromise our standards, all so we can just fit in. We overcompensate because we've been rejected. Here's another way we respond. It's an unhealthy way. But when we get rejected, many times we respond by undervaluing ourselves and we isolate ourselves. We undervalue ourselves in the sense of we, we, we adopt such a low self-esteem of who we are. 
not in a humble way, not in a healthy way, it's an unhealthy way. And we are now looking out and we're saying, hey, listen, to avoid the risk of being rejected again, I'm going to isolate myself. I'm just going to detach. You're never going to hurt me again. You're never going to hurt my heart again. And, and because I've been rejected before, now we become very inward and self-centered, which, by the way, God can't use that, that person anymore. Because we become so inward focused. And all of a sudden, God is looking at us and saying, wait a second, where's that guy? Where's that girl I created for destiny? We've, we're blocking all the calls of God because we are, we're so hurt. We're so wounded. Now, I'm not saying that you put yourself out there and you just, you know, you're stupid and you, and you say, I'm just going to put myself out there for, to be abused. I'm not saying that. But I am saying it's difficult to, to, to take out risk in any relationships. Every relationship poses a risk. Could you all agree with that? Every relationship. Jesus picked 12 interns, 12 disciples, and one of them turned him in to be killed. And even when Judas came to Jesus in the garden, Jesus still called him friend. He didn't close his heart off to him. He still opened up his heart. Isn't that amazing? Here's what a lot of us do. Some people, to avoid rejection, they preemptively reject. And this is what happens at a lot with divorce. It's like, before you can reject me, I'm going to reject you. It's they preemptively, they think the other person might reject him, and so they automatically shut their heart down immediately. Another, another group of people, they do this where whenever they feel like they're going to get rejected, they lack commitment to anything. It's like they can't commit to a relationship. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll move in with you, but I'm not going to marry you because if not, I'm not committed to you, then you can't hurt me. A lot of times, even there's another group of people that deal with rejection with anger and and. and and frustration and aggression. And this happens a lot when you have a married couple that gets together and the married couple is rejected by the spouse. What happens oftentimes is they get angry. They, they get aggressive and they're lashing out and it leads to, write this down, hopelessness and despair. Remember, these are unhealthy ways to respond to rejection. We all know what it feels like. We've all been rejected before. At a time where I was, I think it was ninth grade. And uh, there was like this 11th grade girl that I really, really had my eye on. And I was driving down the road with some friends. I heard she was going to be around the corner. I had her friends, and I had a great idea. I'm like, I'm going to buy flowers. I'm going to buy flowers. I'm going to go. I'm going to go tell her my feelings. Not at school, because that would be dumb. I'm going to do this in the privacy of an open street. So I, I get my friend to take me to the flower shop. I buy these flowers. We drive over to there. Where she's standing with her friends are kind of laughing, giggling. I get out of the car. She's like, oh, it's really awkward, super awkward. I should have just turned around. <clears throat> I walk straight up to her, hand her the flowers, and I tell her how I feel. And her response is, oh. How many know that's not a good response? That's when you need to play it off and be like, girl, you know I was just playing with you. That's a practical joke. April Fool's, it's July 17th. And then she says those words, I see you as just a friend. Everybody say, oh. How many of that hurt? Ninth grade? Come on, somebody. That's your whole world. Well, that, that, was, that was a devastating blow to me. She's 11th grade, I'm 9th grade, and, and, and I just felt like, man, that was messed up. But how many know 
If that would have worked, I wouldn't be married to Diana Nepstad with four beautiful girls. We all know what rejection feels like, but if you're not careful, you overcompensate. You try to fit into every crowd, and then if you're not careful, then you, 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 you come back around and you undervalue yourself. You isolate yourself. You block everybody else out of your life because you refuse to get hurt again. And number three, this takes you to hopelessness and despair. And the devil is the hurt whisperer, ladies and gentlemen. He comes in any time that you've been hurt, and he tries to whisper it to make things worse, to change the way you think about people, to change the way you treat people, to change the way you make decisions. He is there to try to make things worse. And honestly, this is what hopelessness and despair do for you. Here's what it does. Write these three things down. Number one, it makes it, it, makes it hard to receive love. In your, when you're in that moment, you've been rejected, and you've slipped into hopelessness and despair, you, you, it's hard for you to receive love because now you feel unlovable. Write this down. It's hard to connect with people. It's hard to connect with anybody else because you try to, you, you, you've painted everybody in one broad stroke as, as, as somebody who can hurt you potentially. So you just lock everybody out. And number three, write this down, that it's hard for you to see God's purpose and plan for your life. It's hard for you to see God's plan for your life. You say, well, Sean, I get number one and number two, but what about number three? I'll tell you why number three. Because God's plan always includes people. And if you have written off people, you're not going to be able to see how God can use you again. Is this helping, yes or no? We, don't you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that from birth, the devil has tried to destroy and derail your life through rejection. And any, every time that you've been rejected, the devil slithers on up in stealth mode and tries to whisper to you, you are defective, you are ugly, you are unlovable, God doesn't love you, nobody's going to love you, and he tries to whisper all these things of doubt inside of your life. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's not true. But here's his plan. He tries to break your heart. He tries to break your confidence. And if you've ever seen the movie Unbroken, it's kind of like that, where they take somebody and they torture the person so much until they break the spirit of a man. Because when your spirit is broken, everything else is easy. And there are some people that struggle with this so deeply. And here's what the devil wants to do. He wants to implant a spirit of rejection inside of you so badly so that he can control us for the rest of our lives because now he has our minds. Some people apologize profusely that have this spirit of rejection on. They apologize for everything. It's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They apologize to the waiter for asking for a glass of water. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. What are we sorry for? But there's something inside of us. We, we're now feeling and carrying this spirit of rejection. We overcompensate. We undervalue and isolate. We, we fall into depression, despair, hopelessness. Write this down. Number four, we become overly sensitive to rejection. We become overly sensitive to rejection. Let me just tell you, people who struggle with the spirit of rejection are the most offendable people on planet Earth. They get offended so quickly so easily, everywhere they go, every place they visit, every job they take, every church they attend, every relationship, there's something inside of them that gets offended so quickly. Now they are controlled by offense. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I was about 13 years old, and the Lord taught me how to not become offended, how to live a life free from offense. I'm talking 13 years old. Believe me, I have had plenty of reasons in life to become offended. How about you? Here's what I realized. Offended people never make it to their destiny. 
I'm, I was willing to let all this stuff flow off of me like, like water on a duck's back just so I can get destiny. I value destiny a whole lot more than me harboring offense. I'm preaching about 65% better than you're saying amen today. Jesus, he doesn't want us to become offended because offense is a trap of the enemy that keeps you from God's will and destiny for your life. And then they pass it on to our, we pass it on to our kids if we're not careful. We pass it on to the next generation. How many in the room are thinking right now it's time to break the cycle? Come on, is there anybody in the room that thinks it's high time that we stop living for the rest of our life based on what has happened to us? Don't let that define us. How do we do that? Come back next week. No, I'm just kidding. How do we do that? How do we do that? Write this down. Number one. Number one. Because John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many think the devil's doing a pretty good job? I don't have to convince you of that. He's doing a pretty good job. Here's what Jesus said. I've come to give you life, and not just life, it's abundant life. The message paraphrase says this, it's real life, it's eternal life, it starts right now. This is the kind of life that Jesus came to give you. Now, if you're going to get this, number one, base your life on God's perfect love and on what God's word has to say about you. Base your life on God's perfect love and what God's word has to say about you. Don't be controlled by people. Don't give people that much, that power over your life. Not one person, Jimmy Evans says this, not one person is, has ever felt rejected by what God did. It's always been about what people have done. And we understand broken people do broken things. Hurt people, hurt people. The person who rejected you, the person who who hurts you, they are broken. Jesus said this in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when he said never, he meant never. He said, I will never leave you physically. I will never abandon you emotionally. He means never. This is amazing to me because this is the creator of the universe who knows you and loves you. When he says never, he means never. And I know this is difficult to understand because there are people in your life who said never, but then they left. There are people who said that they were committed and then they left. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that bad times define commitment, not the good. Anybody can be committed in good times. Come on. That's easy. Bad times is what defines commitment. When you're going through hell on earth and they're still there, they're still showing up, that's when commitment is revealed. Well, God's perfect love, listen, It heals our spirit of rejection. It heals it. And I'm praying, I was praying this morning for a lot of people, that there would be a healing that would take place even today, even in this session, even in a church service, that God would heal a broken heart. Because to be loved is our greatest need. And therefore, rejection is our greatest fear. But here's what the Word says. Look at it, look at it, look at it. 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Listen, I know our greatest fear is rejection, but there is no fear in love. And God's perfect love. You don't need to get more bold. You need to get more of God's love. You need to get a revelation of how much God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you so much he laid down his life for you and me. Come on. And that perfect love drives out fear. I love that phrase, drives out. It means fear cannot stay even if it wants to. 
We serve fear and eviction notice in your life today. It can't stay. It hasn't paid rent in years. Come on, stop giving it a freeloading chance. Allow God's love to drive out fear in your life. Romans 8.15 is a great verse. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. We're not slaves so that you live in fear again. God wants to break that slave mentality off of our minds, thinking that we're slaves to sin, slaves to fear. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption, say adoption, to sonship by what we cry now to God, Abba, Father. That means Father, Daddy, God. We now have been adopted. I love the story of the kid who was adopted. His friends always made fun of him all the time, like, you're adopted, you're adopted. And he would always get punked all the way home. And one day, he thought about something. This time, he walked home with a little pep in his step. And he walked right up to those boys who made fun of him every single day for the last two years of his junior high. And he walked up and he said, let me tell you something. Every single day, you make fun of me for being adopted. But let me explain how this thing works. My parents flew halfway around the world. They paid $25,000 to find me. They chose me out of everybody on the planet to be their son. Your parents had no choice. Is there anybody in the room that's grateful that we have the spirit of adoption today? That God so loved you, chose you, revealed himself to you. Come on. He says, we have received the spirit of adoption. We are accepted. We are adopted. You are desired. You are loved by your heavenly father. Number one, base your life on God's perfect love and what God's word says about you. Now, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to actually read the Bible. To know what he says about you. You can go to the uversion.com app and it's a Bible app. You can read 15 minutes a day on your phone. It's so simple, but it helps you get the word of God inside of you. Number two, pursue healthy relationships with other believers. Healthy relationships with other believers. This is why small groups are so important at our church. We're not a church that does small groups. We are a church of small groups. If you come to church and you're not in a small group, you'll get a little bit about what we can offer, but you're going to miss the major part. Because it's not about getting more information. I I can tell you this. Listen, I can prove this to you. Tell me the last five sermons you've heard. You can't. But all of us can tell us five people who've impacted our life. You need relationship. This other thing, this church, Sundays, Bible, it's all going to help you. But I'm telling you, God desires you to do life with people. And I would say it's important to do life with people who are running the same way as you. It doesn't mean that you don't have any friends who are outside of church. I'm not saying that. We need to have friends everywhere. But your closest friends ought to be the ones who are going the same direction as you. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal. Always loyal. And a brother is born to help in the time of need. There are some people, they were born to help you in your time of need. A brother was born to help you in your time of need. Get this. Sometimes we always think that way first. You might have been born to help somebody else in their time of need. That is not going to take place if you're not in relationship, and relationships happen and flourish in small group settings. Sundays are for, I mean, we come here, we do life, we, we love people, we introduce people to God, but I'm telling you, the nitty and gritty stuff of our church is in small groups. 
to get to know some people. Don't be controlled by people, but I'm telling you, here's what you'll find with Christian friends. Here's what you'll find. And I'm not saying all Christians are like this because there are some Christians who are still struggling with worldliness, and I get that. We all have been there. But for my Christian friends, here's what I found. When hard times get hard, they show up, they don't run away. You need some people like that. You need some people when all hell breaks loose that they're not going to unfriend you. That they're, they're going to show up to your house with a, with a lasagna and say, listen, let's, let's talk this thing through. You need that small group. Now, by the way, we're doing small group training because we launched our small group semester in September. We do trainings at 1230 uh, right over there in the family worship room. By the way, let's give it up for everybody in the family worship room today. We appreciate you being here. All these precious families. And I want to encourage every one of you to either get in a small group or lead one. I, I, as your pastor, I'm praying. I'm not stopping until 100% of our church is in small groups. And they'll meet for 13 weeks in September after Labor Day. They'll go for 13 weeks right before Christmas. Then they'll take another break. But it's, it's, you, can, you can gather for any reason. Here's what small groups do. We will teach you to take what you love to do and turn that into ministry. Whether it's bicycle riding or walking dogs or Bible study or whatever it is, there's probably some friends in your life that you, would, that you could invite to your house and, and do life with for, for 13 weeks. And in that process, you begin to develop relationship. And in that process, you say, hey, how's your week been going? Hey, it's not been going too well at all. Matter of fact, let's, can you pray for me? And there's God moments that pop up. And you do life with people who are going the same way as you. So if you want training to lead a small group, come back at 1230 today, and we will train you on how to lead a small group. Sound good? Come on, just say yes to help me feel better. Here's what we find. Thank you. Christian friends have a value system. They have a moral compass, and it's based on the Bible. And they're going to challenge you. If you don't have any friends that are challenging you, you're missing out on life. Every time I've plateaued in life, it's because I, I've stepped away a little bit from friends. Every time I've grown in life, it's because somebody stuck their finger in my chest and said, you're better than that. You can do greater things. You're missing out on some stuff. So listen, by the way, when a friend comes and tries to get you to, to like step up and do the right thing, that is not the time for you to get offended. Oh, I just got offended in that small group, got offended in that church. They told me about myself. No, no, no. That's not the time to get offended. That's not a legitimate offense. That's called accountability. And we all need it. So we gotta, if you want accountability, you got to make yourself accountable. And there's something, there's a biblical value system and faithfulness. This is what you're looking for in good, godly friends. And it is what we ought to strive to be for other people in small group settings. Can I hear a good amen? So choose your friends carefully, choose them carefully, choose them carefully. Your closest friends ought to be people going the same way as you. Show me your friends and I'll show you who you're becoming. Period. Number three, don't take rejection so seriously and personally. Don't take rejection so personally. This is why I'm going to unpack this. We are all going to get rejected. Every one of us. You're going to feel rejection at some level. Don't take it so personally. It's not just you. It's me. It's all of us. Here's what Luke chapter 6 says. Luke chapter 6 says, uh, what blessing awaits you when people hate you and exclude you 
and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes. Leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. How many of you have ever done that? Like, you get rejected, and you say, super, and you jump up in the air. Start pounding your fist. We don't do that. We don't get that verse. We don't understand it. It doesn't compute with us. We don't act like that, typically. Here's what happens. We get rejected. It ruins our life. We cry. We shut the blinds. We go home. We hurt. We get offended. We get calloused. We get revengeful. We Facebook it. We tweet it. We Instagram. That's what we do. We do not do that. Listen to me. Look right at me. If you knew the reward that God gives, you'd be okay with it. I understand it hurts, but you wouldn't take it so personally, everybody. 1 John 5, 4 says this. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Say overcomes. Overcomes Overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Listen to me. Look at me, everybody. You're either an overcomer or you're being overcome. Those are the two places. You're either an overcomer or you're being overcome by something in life. Do you know that even Jesus, the one we follow and base our life after, he was rejected? Think about this. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected. Say rejected. By who? Everybody. Mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. Good Lord. They would hide their faces? He was despised and he was held in low esteem. Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet he, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was the most rejected person in history. Let me explain it. He was an unwanted child. His father, Joseph, Mary comes to like, oops, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, well, it ain't mine. I know that for sure. They weren't even married yet. It's an immaculate conception. It's a miracle. And Joseph didn't even want the baby. He was going to divorce her quietly. And an angel appeared to him and changed his mind. And then Herod found out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and tore apart a whole village, killing kids two and under, trying to destroy this this so-called king of the Jews. And then you take him to Nazareth, his hometown. Jesus is one day reading, and he's reading a scroll. And as he's reading Isaiah, he says, guys, this is talking about me. They literally take him up to the Mount of Precipice, and they try to throw him off a cliff. He walks through the crowd. His brothers and sisters rejected him. A lot of Jews rejected him. They rejected him so much, they crucified him. Even on a cross in Mark Mark chapter 15, verse 34, Jesus looked at the Father and he said this. He said, why have you forsaken me? All of his life, ladies and gentlemen, why was he so rejected? I'll tell you why. Jesus Christ took your place and my place on a cross. 
Our sins caused us to be deserving of God's rejection, but God took our place and every amount of our sin was placed on Jesus. Listen, all this rejection, it didn't change the way Jesus treated people. It didn't change the way he fulfilled his destiny. All of this, Jesus, Jesus Christ was rejected from birth to life so that you and I could be accepted. Jesus overcame all of that so you and I could overcome. Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, not so that you and I can learn how to cope with this kind of stuff, but so that you and I can finally, once and for all, overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen. But you don't have to be, you don't have to be dominated by a spirit of this any longer. There's a guy named Joseph in the Bible. Joseph had a dream. He's 17 years old. He has a dream that and his brothers are bowing down to him and his brothers hated him. His brothers rejected him. His flesh and blood rejected Joseph. They sell him. He's now human trafficked. He's sold as a slave into Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He's falsely accused. He's thrown in prison for something he did not do. And then he's forgotten. 13 years of hell on earth. And then the Pharaoh, who's, who's the king of that time, in that region, he says, I, I had a dream. Can anybody interpret? Nobody can interpret it. And then one guy's like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy in the pen. He can interpret dreams. They bring Joseph out. They shave him up. They bring him out. Joseph, by the Spirit of God, God gives him the interpretation. He interprets a dream, and Pharaoh says, you're an amazing man. God is with you. I'm now elevating you to be the second in command of my entire the most powerful nation of the world at that time, Egypt. Well, God gave him another strategy. God gave Joseph a strategy. Save, save, save during the time of plenty. And during a seven-year famine, Egypt became the wealthiest nation on the planet because they sold grain to every other country, every other nation. Well, one day, Joseph's there working. His brothers, who sold him into slavery, come and they're asking for food. And they're bowing down before him just like his dream, 13 or more than that years ago. So here he is. They don't recognize him because he's, like he's got Egyptian garb on. He's got some Mac eyeliner makeup going on. Now you know if the person who rejected you was kneeling before you and you had the power to hurt them, it would be very difficult not to. You've heard of 2020 vision? Let me give you 5020 vision. Genesis 50:20. He said, "You, you meant evil against me." Let me tell you what God did. God turned this whole thing around. He turned the whole thing around. Here's the purpose though, to save all these people's lives. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is what I want to tell you. This is the big point of the entire sermon. If you don't forget, if you forget everything else, just remember this. Your rejection may have just served as a redirection. I don't think you guys heard it. Let me try this side. Your rejection may have just served as a redirection. Let me try this side. Your rejection may have just served as a redirection. There's no way in the world that Joseph would have been used to serve all these people and save all these people's lives had he not been rejected all the way back when he was 17 years old. Let me show you where God gave me this phrase and then where he showed it to me. 1 Samuel chapter 29. Not on your notes because we didn't have room. I mean, I think that's a good idea. We have a lot of scripture. Let me read it to you. This is David, okay? 
As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Akish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrew boys? Akish replied, is this not David who was an officer of Saul, the king of Israel? He has already been with me for over one year. And from the day he left Saul until now, I've found no fault in him. Like David's a great guy. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Akish and said, send the men back. Send them back. So Akish called David and said to him, surely as the Lord lives. Here's what's happening. They're about to go into battle together. And the commanders are like, not David and his men. David is about to get rejected. You have been reliable, and I, I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you. But as the rulers don't approve of you, now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done, David said? What have I done? What have you found against your servant from the day I came until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of the Lord our king? Akish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, he must not go with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it's light. Now chapter 30 opens. David and his men reached Ziklag. Okay, that's the home. So they left. They got rejected. They can't go out the battle. And they turn. They're walking home to Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites, that's the enemies of God's people. They had raided Negev and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it. Their homes are burnt to the ground. You seeing this? And then he says this, and it taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no more strength to weep. And then David inquired of the Lord. He said, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the other 400 continued in pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field who was brought to, to David. They gave him some water and drink and food to eat. And David asked, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? And he said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. Remember who, who, who just destroyed their town? The Amalekites. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. That was messed up. <coughs> we raided the Negev, some territory belonging to, the, to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? I have an invitation. He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. Check this out. David fought them from dusk until evening the next day, and none of them got away except the 400 young men who rode off on camels in the field. David recovered everything. Say that with me. David recovered Everything the Amalekites had taken, nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, the plunder, or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. Let me tell you, this never would have happened without the rejection on the battlefield. I was riding on a plane, and God dropped this in my spirit, that this rejection only served as a redirection. At the moment of rejection, it was hurtful, 
He didn't understand. It didn't make sense. But God was working inside of the rejection to save his family. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that rejection in your life just may have served as a redirection. Come on, somebody ought to clap your hands and thank God. Your rejection may have just served as a redirection. Number four, let me end with this. Forgive those who've rejected you. Yeah, it got all quiet all of a sudden. Let me tell you, let me read two verses, okay? Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Time out. That's a little too much. It's a little too much. You don't know what they did. Okay, I don't, but God does, and he wrote this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Put your seatbelt on, because it's going to get worse. (laughs) Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you in the face... Turn the other cheek. At one time, somebody asked me, well, what happens if they slap that cheek? I only have four. (laughs) That was probably a little too much. It's the cough medicine speaking. Don't judge me. Turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, give them your shirt too. Give everyone who asks, and if anyone takes... It belongs to you. Do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. <clears throat> Matthew 6.15. Here's why it's important to forgive. Okay, listen. Listen to me. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father, God, will not forgive you. Are you seeing the trap of the enemy now? If he can get you offended, he's got you. If he can get you to pick up a spirit of rejection... He's got you. Look at this quote from Nelson Mandela. Great man. He says, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. You know, you know you're being controlled by another person when you cannot love them beyond how they treated you. You know that you're being controlled by somebody if you cannot love them beyond how they're treating you. When God's love is flowing through you on the inside, listen, you could rise above these circumstances. It's like a faucet. Like when somebody, when somebody brings a dirty dish to a faucet, the faucet doesn't start spewing out dirty water just because somebody put a dirty plate in the sink. It's fresh water all day, every day. It doesn't matter what you bring to the sink. It's always going to be fresh water. It's pure. And when somebody hurts you, you don't need to start spewing out offense. You don't need to start spewing out uh, uh, hurt and wounds just because somebody has brought something to you. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you can love while they're hating. Come on, you can bless while they're cursing. You can smile while they're frowning because you have overcome a spirit of rejection with the love of Almighty God. And you have decided my life will not be dominated by what has happened to me any longer. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. I'm already loved. I'm already accepted. Come on. Is there anybody in the room that's grateful? Romans 8, 28 that says God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Come on, clap your hands and say a good amen. We can be free from the spirit of rejection. 
You can be free from this today in the name of Jesus with your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over the room. If you're here today and you say, Sean, that is me. I didn't want to admit it, but that's me. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But before that, the very first step would be this, to commit your life to Jesus, to commit your life to him, to say, I'm giving my life back to you, God. Maybe you were once close to God, but you've strayed, you've drifted. I don't know the story, but here's what I know about God. He's always waiting for the return of his son, of his daughter. If you're here and you say, that's me, I want to lead you in a commitment prayer that you could pray right in your seat. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front or embarrass you. Our hearts never to embarrass you. It's to connect you to God. If you say, that's me, on the count of three, I'd like you to raise your hand and just say that. Count me in that prayer when you pray it, Sean. I want to give my life to Jesus. Come on, all over the room. This is you. One, two, three. Lift it up high. Lift it up high. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, leave it up. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, great job. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in this prayer, but we're going to pray it out together because we don't want you to stand alone. Even in this, we're letting you know we're with you. Come on, everybody say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me right where I am. Today, God, I give my life to you. Forgive me from my past. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I give my life to you. Forgive me for going my own way. Be my Lord and my Savior. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, go and close your eyes just to give your neighbor the sake of privacy. If you're here and you say, Sean, this message was for me. I have, I have, I've allowed the spirit of rejection to come into my life. And I want it to leave today. If that's you, be bold. And just so I know who I'm talking to, raise your hand very quickly. Yeah. Wow, lots of you, lots of you. Hands everywhere. Okay, you put your hands down. As a sign of faith, as you just lifted your hand, I want to pray to break the spirit of rejection off of your life. Would you just kind of put your hands open like this in an attitude of receiving? You don't have to lift them high, just on your lap. Lord, I pray right now for an overwhelming sense of your love to flood their lives. You said perfect love drives out fear. The fear of rejection the fear of man, the fear of failure, the fear of God in, in general. I thank you that today, not because I said so, but because your word says so, that, that spirit has got to go. I thank you that we are no longer going to be dominated by a spirit of fear, of rejection. But Lord, we realize we are loved. We are valued you do have a purpose for our life and a destiny that we will fulfill. And I thank you, Lord, today that we're not going to fall into the trap of the enemy any longer because you have come to our rescue. So I break that spirit of fear, that spirit of rejection off of every life in this room, everyone listening at home. And I thank you in Jesus' name that we are free. In Jesus' name. Say this with me. I renounce a spirit of rejection and I receive wholeheartedly the love of God. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's clap our hands and say a good amen.